This is Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Radio. Going back to, you know, keeping it simple and, you know, I think we're a very successful team uh, on the forward check and getting pucks kind of behind them and, and going to work and making sure we're, we're playing our style of hockey, so... I'd say just you know keeping it simple, not forcing plays. It's on us. We just have to figure it out. And I, I think for the most part of the year, I think it has been kind of like iffy. I think so. Uh, this is something that we I thought that you know like through the season we've improved, and um, and we just have to you know take this as the next challenge for us to improve because we have some tough hockey coming up. You know we've played the most games since the All Star break. I know we we had multiple games in hands on teams, and now those same teams have multiple games in hands on us. It's been a tough stretch for the boys, but I don't know, three and five nights. Come on, it's a tough stretch for everybody, not just the players. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) John Cooper speaking to the media. Lightning taking on the Canadians tonight. Another one of those games where you just, on paper, Lightning are supposed to win. Sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes you win ugly. doesn't matter. We'll talk about that today in addition to some other things. We got into this, I think, a little bit the other day, but I I think it's fair to ask the question again. Dave and I were discussing, and let me bring in my radio partner, Dave Mishkin. Always glad to have him with me. Steve Versnick's our producer at Bolts Radio. But, partner, we kind of, we were talking about, because I think we took a question about Darren Radish and how he's looked, and is this setting up nicely for the stretch run for the Lightning to use him more and maybe even heading into next year, is this somebody who could crack the top six? And you know, I think we kind of touched on some of those points on yesterday's show. They all kind of run together at this point. I know we, we talk about a lot of different things, but I am wondering, you know, will the lineup look a little different in terms of 12-6, 11-7, depending on how well potentially Radish does from here on out to end the regular season, is that something that the Lightning should consider? And, you know, it's interesting, partner, because I've maintained, and I, I think their depth has gotten better at the forward position with the trades they have made. But if I were to sit there and say, look... I've always maintained that at least this year, I think the team is relying a little bit more on their high-end guys than in years past. Maybe I'm wrong on that. But if that is true, does 11-7 and make a bit more sense heading into the playoffs? Also understanding that part of that equation is, you know, you have seven capable defensemen who can do a lot of different things. Well, first of all, Greg, let me tell you that I am back in the hotel. So I was at the skate. It was an optional skate. John Cooper spoke right at 11.30. So I heard what he had to say. Most of the players actually were not skating, and they were heading back to the hotel. So I did the same thing. So that's why you're not hearing any pucks or sticks. I'm not even sure if the players are still out on the ice, the ones that, that participate in the optional. So I do come armed with information because I was one of three people at the John Cooper press conference along with Gabby and, and Gabe Marte who was filming it. And Gabby asked Coop about the defense pair situation and what goes into that decision. And as he mentioned Radish and how well Radish has played, then Gabby asked him a follow-up question about what he liked about Radish. And he answered 
in in the same vein that that we talked about Radish on the show yesterday, which we said he has poise to his game, similar to Perbix, and and the word Coop used was calm. He's calm out there, which you can probably interchange those two. I think he has impressed them. He played the most that he has played to this point since his call-up in the game on Sunday against New Jersey, which was a tough game for the Lightning, and had he struggled notably as the Lightning as a team struggled against the Devils, I think his minutes would have been lower. He also finished even, for what it's worth, in a game in which, you know, the Lightning lost five to two, and all the goals were were even strength. So that is a credit to him, and it does lead to this extra question or extra layer of a question. The Lightning right now have one extra forward and two extra defensemen. They're scratching three players a game. They could add players if they choose when the playoffs begin, but Syracuse is going to make the playoffs, and I don't think that they're going to be pulling guys up not to play if they could help Syracuse win a playoff series. So let's go under the assumption, which may not be the correct assumption, but let's go under it, Greg, that the Lightning start the playoffs with the same 23 that they have. You could look at an 11-7, and seven, especially because you have the two extra defensemen. The Lightning have played 11-7 and seven in the playoffs before, most notably, most memorably, in the 2020 bubble. That's the one I remember the most when McDonough got hurt. The Lightning went from 12-6 and six to 11-7, and seven, inserting Shen and Coburn into the Boston series. And even though McDonough was able to return fairly quickly, they, they kept the 11-7 and seven formation through that series, through the conference final, or whatever you want to call it in the bubble, the Islanders series, and into the Stanley Cup final. And it was only once they began the Stanley Cup final against Dallas and lost game one, they went back to 12-6. and six. The 2021 playoff run, I want to say, was mostly 12-6. and six. But this is not something that the Lightning have not done in the past. Now, they have not done it a lot this year. We've not seen 11-7 and seven that much this year. Will that affect what they might potentially try and do in the playoffs? I don't know. I don't think so, actually. I think Coop, if he wants to go 11-7, and seven, he's going to go 11-7. and seven. So what are the advantages of going 11-7? and seven? If you have a seventh defenseman that you feel can slot in and really help balance your lineup, well, first of all, you are – allowing yourself the opportunity, which you touched on, to double shift some of your top guys. The second part is that it can create some matchup problems or at least complications, if not problems, for the other team. Let's say the Leafs want to match, and I'm going under the assumption that it's Lightning Leafs in the first round. Let's assume that the Leafs have a certain pair they want to match against Point and Kucherov. Well, what happens when... In, in the line with two forwards, all of a sudden points out there again, what do you do? That's where it can complicate matters for the other team. On, on the downside, I guess, you know, you are mixing up your defense pairs, and that fourth line, or the line with two forwards, if you want to look at it that way, is going to have a rotating third forward every time out. So you're not getting the same level of continuity. But clearly the Lightning have done it with great success in the past, so we'll have to wait and see. But I think we wouldn't be having this conversation, Greg, had Radish not come up and played as well as he has to this point. 
think it's fair, and I like the the option aspect of things. And you know, look, of course, anytime you go eleven and seven, you can always play some of those high end forwards a bit more, depending on how the series is going, mm-hmm. or if you feel like that's the best chance for you to win. I always wonder with that partner too. When you go eleven and seven, is it more about playing your top end guys more, or is it more about look, we've got seven defensemen and we feel really good about throwing them out there. I mean, I'm sure it's a little bit of both, but I'm always curious which which one is more, <laughs> you know, which one is yeah. is better served. I think it's both. I mean, I do believe that both factor in. Maybe one might factor in more than another given the circumstance. But often, you know, a team may go 7D in part because they don't want to overtax some of their defensemen. Now, we're not talking about the top-end guys, but maybe, you know, you're five, six, seven. Instead of five and six playing, let's say, 16 minutes, you'd rather have five, six, and seven divvy up those minutes, and each one might play 13 minutes. Or not. Like maybe it's more about getting that top end forward extra ice time. I mean, the Lightning have done fairly well after the first month to manage the ice time of their top guys. We have had this conversation on the show, Greg, about. In the first month, Kucherov, Point, and Stamkos were well over 20 minutes a night. Those numbers have come down, which I think is to the Lightning's liking. I think Kuch is the only guy currently over 20, and he's not very much over 20. In the playoffs, though, I mean, you're not looking at an 82-game season, right? And if you need to load up your top guys with more minutes to win a Stanley Cup, you do it. I think we asked the question of Connor McGahee, who does the Avs broadcast when the Lightning and Avalanche met in Amelie Arena, if if Jared Bednar, who was their head coach, had some concerns about the fact that he had five forwards all averaging over 20 minutes when the teams met. I haven't checked their numbers recently to see if that's still the case. McKinnon you would expect, but McKinnon is is among the leaders in ice time for forwards. You had Rantanen. You had Nachushkin, who had been hurt a lot of the year, but his average was over 20. And you had Arturi Lekkinen, who's currently hurt, but I don't think Lekkinen had ever played that much before in his NHL career here in Montreal. And then, surprisingly, you had JT Comfer, who's really like a, a checker penalty killer type, but is being used more this year. And Connor kind of answered, as you remember, Greg, he said, well, I don't think he's too worried about it. Well, you don't worry about it necessarily in January or February, but you may worry about it in May that these guys have logged all these extra minutes through the year. The Lightning have avoided that with Kucherov, Point, and Stamkos because they've been able to slot them into minutes that are kind of comparable to what they've done in the past so that if you have to use them more in the playoffs, you haven't been playing them 23 minutes a night that would be the concern about playing guys more in the regular season. Not so much about what's happening in the regular season, but what's going to happen once you get into the grind of the playoffs. And we'll see how it affects the Avs. It may not affect them at all. I mean, McKinnon's a horse. I mean, that guy might want to play 30 minutes a game if, if given the option, the way he can skate. But we'll see. I mean, we'll see if that move by the Avs is going to cost them at some point right. based on how much they have taxed really five of their forwards that are going to be leaned on a lot when the playoffs begin.
But I think it's a fair question about the 11-7 for the Lightning, specific to this matchup against Toronto. They did not go 11-7 in the series last year, to the best of my recollection, against the Leafs. They went 12-6. and six. Nick Ida Kucherov, <laughs> I love our, <laughs> our followers here, says, right along the lines here, partner, of what we're talking about here to start the show, what are your thoughts on how the coaches are going to deal with the lineups in the playoffs, especially the D, Perbix, Radish, Bogo, et cetera? Thanks, guys. Well, is there more that we need to add? I think no. we just addressed yeah. that pretty thoroughly. It was, he was... Nikita. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I always like that. <laughs> I hope it makes sense. And look, I don't think you can have those conversations, though, unless you do have some guys on the back end that aren't a liability. And I think mm-hmm. it speaks to the depth, Dave, that maybe the Lightning are building back there, knowing that you took a hit with Ruta and McDonough gone. And it's funny... The Lightning may have gained more depth this year. And when I say more depth, maybe they found guys who could become NHL defensemen after an offseason in which they lost a couple pretty impactful ones. But I'm wondering if, if it has answered the question still with the defense pairings and are they comfortable still or yet with everyone there on the back end? You know, with partners and, and yeah. who they're playing with. And I, I think that's a fair question. Although I think they've been trending in the right direction. Has John Cooper basically been like, okay, you know what? We're going to go with Bogo and Hedman because that makes sense. You know, we've ha- we have seen Sergachev and Perbix together. And is Cole and Chernak going to be that, that pair as well? Because they've these guys have played the most with one another. And at mm-hmm. some point... You just have to go with familiarity rather than have they been super productive or super dynamic and maybe hope in the offseason that changes and next yeah. year is different. Well, all we can go on based on how the lineup is looking, looking for tonight. We don't know what the lineup is going to look like tonight but because it's an optional. But we can look at these last several games and examine how they've worked the D and how they've worked the forwards. Because they do have the two extra D and they have the one extra forward. On defense, I think it's safe to say right now Hayden Fleury is your number eight. I mean, basically he's coming in when the Lightning have had shorthanded issues and they've had to play guys that, that were previously sitting. The seventh defenseman has rotated. But it has not been a rotation every game. Perbic sat both games last weekend. And prior to that, Bogosian sat for several games. And prior to that, Darren Radish sat for several games. When they have, how should I phrase this? When Perbix has been in, he has been playing with Hedman. <laughs> when Bogosian has been in, he has been playing with Hedman. This is more recent because those are the two guys that sat most recently. When Radish has been in and he has not sat for a handful of games now, he's been with Sergachev. Cole and Chernak have been a pair. And within a game, sometimes the, they, they do rotate the pairs based on maybe special teams or, or anything like that. But generally speaking, what you're seeing is Radish playing Sergachev, Cole playing with Chernak as kind of the matchup pair, and then either Perbix or Bogosian with Hedman. 
if they went with a rotation of seven in a game, that might look a little different. We're going to have to wait and see. As far as the forwards are concerned, the forward extra has been a member of the Perry, Belmar, Maroon, Acemont line. And all four have sat, and it has been more recently one game out, and then you're back in. So on Sunday, it was Perry who sat. On Saturday against Montreal, it was Maroon who sat. Prior to that, AC Mont sat, and then Belmar had been out. All four guys were in when Stamkos missed his one game. He was the forward scratch, but that was due to injury. So what do we make of that? I mean, without John Cooper actually telling us, and I'm not sure that he would, I think that we can glean from this. They're looking at different formations of the fourth line. When Belmar is in, he's usually the center, and Acemont goes to wing. When Belmar is out, Acemont is in the middle. So Acemont has played center and wing. Phil actually asked him about that in an interview that we did with him. He basically said, I just want to play, right? But it sounded like in his his amateur career, he was mostly a center. but, But he's played both at the pro level. And when he's been in the NHL, it's it's been at the wing position, although the Lightning have used him at center. And Perry has been the right wing, and Maroon has been the left wing. So I think the Lightning are looking to see how the different formations play, essentially. Yeah. The Belmar-Acemont-Maroon line may have been, and more than may have been, I think they were the Lightning's most effective line in the final two periods against New Jersey. They drove play. They had that puck off the post that everyone thought was in, and it was confirmed on on review that it hit the post and, and did not go in, but they were the line that was out there. They were the one line playing with the puck in the offensive zone in the final 40 minutes consistently against the Devils. That was a good showing for them. Yeah. We'll see what the fourth line looks like tonight. But at no point during any of these games have the Lightning gone 11-7. and seven. They've scratched the two defensemen. Dave, this uh, from the Canadian side tonight. Gallagher and Doc returning to the okay. lineup. Montebo's going to get his fourth straight start. He looked pretty good against the Lightning the other day. He did. And uh, this is from Marco D'Amico. He says, full line shuffle. Yeah. So you have to go to that. So <laughs> yeah, a little idea of what's happening tonight. Gallagher has had so many injury problems since the Stanley Cup final. I mean, last year, too. I'm talking about the 2021 Stanley Cup final. And he plays a really hard game, and he's played it that way his whole career. Heart and soul guy, but I'm sure that he'll he'll provide the team with a boost. Doc was a pretty savvy pickup by the Canadians. It's curious that the Hawks gave up on him like they gave up on Hagel. By gave up, I mean, you know, they got something for for both players. But how is it that Kirby Doc is not part of your solution moving forward? I'm a little confused about that because he's a very good player. He's a number three overall pick. They've had a lot of injuries, though. I mean, if you include Carey Price, who's missed the whole year, and Caden Gooley, who missed the game on Saturday, they had 10 guys injured. But apparently two of them are coming back. Yeah, for sure. Hit us up on Twitter. At Bolts Radio, if you want to get involved in the conversation. Basil says, maybe I'm paranoid, but one reason I like the 11-7 configuration is that I hate it when a D-man gets injured. While in the game, and we have to play the rest of the game with only five D-men, seems like a safer course. 
Good point, Basil, because that is another reason to dress seven defensemen. I've heard coaches that like the 11 and seven reference that. Very true. Very true, Basil. We appreciate it. And again, I think some of that too is when you have the forwards the Lightning have, sometimes finding ways, particularly on the road, to get away from matchups. Maybe you can be a little more creative in how you go about deploying them throughout the game to get away from those matchups. But I, uh, let's put it this way if they went 11 and 7 partner for the playoffs, I don't know if we would be completely surprised, would we? Well, it, it would not be surprising because the Lightning under John Cooper have done it. Yeah. And they've done sure. it in the playoffs. Absolutely. They just haven't done it a lot this year. They've done it this year out of necessity due to injuries. That's true. Because for much of the year, they only had 12 forwards based on their cap constraints. Yep. Al says, this was a couple of hours ago too, partner, so... Um, I don't know if it's repeating much of what we said. He said, is, it, is resting fourth liners really worth it? 77, 91, 17, and others should be rested after a hard March schedule. They need to be physically and mentally ready for the playoffs. Tampa Bay has three call-ups available. You could waive 41. The 1.5 million cap space gives them room for two call-ups. Thoughts? Yeah, I, I'm sorry, Al. I completely disagree with just about everything that you wrote there. <laughs> so, look, Belmar is, Belmar is part of the team. I don't think they're just going to, like, send him. First of all, sending a player down at this point of the season, like, you worry about all the all the ramifications from that move beyond the actual move itself. I mean, Belmar is, is an integral part of the fabric of the locker room. I mean, he's a veteran. Like, that is just, that is not the right move to to make, in my opinion. On top of the fact that you'd be putting him on waivers, you could lose him. You might need this guy in the playoffs just to give somebody else a look. Doesn't make sense. The reason he said putting Belmar on waivers is, yes, the Lightning have three more call-ups, but they have no cap space. So anybody who comes up could only come up if there was a corresponding move. So... I don't see that happening unless there is going to be a necessity for it due to injury when you have the emergency call-up where you're allowed to replace the player. And I, I believe, unless I'm mistaken, it would have to be a long-term injury situation because the Lightning can yeah. sustain an injured player like the Stamco situation and still feel the lineup, right? So, and even if they were a, a man short, you know, if you don't have the cap space, you can't call up somebody. That's why teams sometimes have to play a player short in a game. As far as what he said, what was the other part of his? Oh, about the the resting players. Yeah. The NHL does not do load management, Al. They don't. So Stamkos played the game against Winnipeg on Sunday. In retrospect, he said, I probably should have sat that one out because I got hurt on Saturday and, and probably could have used the extra day. That is different than saying, boy, Victor Hedman's played a lot of hockey this month. Why don't you take a seat? It's just not done in the NHL. So you may disagree with that, but that is not something that happens in this sport. I understand it happens in basketball, but, you know, in basketball, it's a completely different sport. You know, you might have a player play, what is it, 48 minutes. A player, a top player might play 40 minutes. 
there are times when the top players play almost the whole game, right? I'm not suggesting that happens, you know, in a late regular season game when, when a team's playoff position is secure. But hockey is different. It just isn't done. So Doesn't if mean you it's ask not John right, Cooper about right. load management, you'll get a yeah. long answer. Hockey in, guys want to play. That's in opposition to that, yes. Hockey guys want to play, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's just how it is. And I'm not like, – like I'm not like saying he's if, wrong. Yeah, I mean, you know? you're, you worry about the physical and mental toll, but I mean, first of all, you only have room to at the forward position. You only have room to replace one guy, right? Unless you're going to go eleven and seven. So I don't, I don't see, see any I, of that happening, Al. But maybe you're right. Maybe I'm wrong. We'll see in these last eleven games. See, here's the thing about it. If if the talk is the Lightning have played the most games out of any team over the last three years, and they may be fatigued in some games, then his point is a valid one. Because you can't, you can't on one hand, talk about how fatigued the team is over the last three years and not feel like, okay, strategically resting guys here and there isn't beneficial or shouldn't be part of the equation. I get what he's saying. It makes sense. I also agree with what you're saying, Dave. It's not ingrained in the hockey culture. So either you break the hockey culture and say, if we can rest him this game or him that game. Understand you only have so many roster spots to do that. Mm -hmm. Then I, I think you should. Because then I don't want to hear about how fatigued everybody is. Well, you can control your own destiny from that standpoint, and you can rest certain guys when you want to. Again, within reason. You can't rest five. You can't yeah. rest ten. But if there is if there is a Victor Hedman who you feel like logged a ton of minutes over the last three years, and you're kind of like, hey, we're going to just strategically sit you here. You're going to be off for the next four days. Why don't you take some time off? There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I I still don't think it it happens. Not for non goalies. So there are a couple things at play here. First of all, and we heard the clip from Coop at the top of the show. The Lightning have had a very busy schedule for the last month. At one point, they were among the teams with the fewest games played. Now they are among the teams with the most games played. And the advantage to that is that they have fewer games left. Now, it would not be an advantage if they're battling for a playoff spot with a team that has games in hand, but it means that they are finally going to be reaching a stretch after this three-game and five-day set on the road, which ends Saturday afternoon in Boston. The team's coming home after the game in Boston because it's an afternoon game. So the team will get home, let's say, mid-evening, 8.30, o'clock. They're going to have Sunday off. They'll probably have a practice Monday and then fly to Raleigh, which is a short flight for the game Tuesday. So that is going to be their first two-day segment with no game in quite some time. But they have another one before the end of the season. What is it that they play the Islanders on the first Saturday and they don't play again until the Wednesday against the Rangers, I think? Yeah, I think I'm you're right. Remembering right. And then from game 82 to game one of the playoffs, there's another break because their season ends on a Thursday. Correct me if I get the date wrong here, but I think it's April 13th. And the 
first round of the playoffs is not slated to begin until the 17th. So from here on out, there are going to be more stretches in the schedule to allow for rest. Also, John Cooper has been very careful, if that's the right word, or mindful is probably the better word, to give his players rest as much as possible. There have been a lot of days that have been off days completely. A day like today. Lightning didn't practice yesterday. They had a back-to-back on Saturday, Sunday. There was no practice on Monday. What did you do today? Optional skate. Saw a bunch of guys walking back to the hotel. They did not get on the ice. So I think that they're trying to tackle it in ways other than pulling one of your mainstays out of the lineup, which has logistical elements to it that make it difficult because there are only so many players you can you can put in. And also, it's not really the way that things are done in the NHL. Where we have seen it in the past, though, is with the goaltenders. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Greg, I think at the end of the 2021 season, that 56-game season, where the teams were traveling and usually playing two games at a time, Lighting had a late regular season trip. It might have been to Detroit, and Vasilevsky didn't even make the trip. That actually rings a bell. Yeah. So, I mean, that is a little different where you have another goalie that can come in and maybe have somebody back up. But, again, this this year you couldn't call up a third goalie because you don't have the cap room. But if the Lightning say, you know what, Vassy, we only have one back-to-back left, which is true. There's only one back-to-back left in the entire season in their final 11 games. Maybe they give him strategic rest at points, and Elliott sees – I mean, I would think Elliott's going to play more than one out of the last 11, in which case he's going to be getting into some of these games that are not back-to-backs because they only have one more back-to-back set left. But I will say this. If the Lightning don't begin their first-round playoff series until Monday the 17th or Tuesday the 18th, which is also possible, they may not be scheduled to play the first day, I am fairly certain Vasilevsky is going to want to get that Thursday game game 82 of the regular season that he's not going to want to have a full week or potentially six days to seven days between games so that's almost going on the other side of the ledger right (laughs) too much time off I don't think he's going to want that but we'll see I mean I'm sure they've plotted out what the goalie rotation is going to look like here moving forward I would expect and the fact that Elliot was on the ice and Vasilevsky wasn't I would expect Vasi's going to play tonight against Montreal. And then we'll see what happens yeah. moving forward on this road trip. I didn't mean to be stern with your <laughs> with your tweet, Al. We love your tweets. And I love how you are bold in your tweets. But that one, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm contrary to your opinion. But who knows? Maybe you're proven right and I'm proven wrong. What you're saying is no soup for you. And that's that's where we're well i'm not the one serving the soup though john cooper is maybe al's gonna get a huge bowl of mulligatani and i get nothing that. right how about that that would be interesting <laughs> nice that seinfeld reference but that's the way. right at bolts radio and uh get us your questions and we'll read them jay says what a fall from grace for jonathan Druin over the last number of years wonder what he becomes if he stayed in Tampa. Eisenman traded him at peak value. Eisenman was a great trader, mostly terrible first-round drafter in Tampa. Cost this team cups. Well, Eisenman did not have a lot of first-round picks. 
I mean, um, all right. So I say that Druin was a first round pick. They took D'Angelo, who there's no questioning that Tony D'Angelo has NHL talent. I think they were hopeful that the off ice stuff or locker room stuff would get corrected. And there have a lot of there have been a lot of other teams that have that have made the same calculus. And he has moved on from a lot of teams, clearly. And then they they took Cal Foot. Most of these other years, they weren't really drafting in the first round, right? No, I think they traded away a lot of their picks. Was he saying that Eiserman didn't capitalize on more cups? Is that was he? No, I think he's saying Eiserman made a good trade, drew in for Sergachev. Yes, but he did not draft well in the first round. Well, 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 look, I mean. in a way, the Druin pick netted the Lightning Sergachev. But, so, but does it matter when you see the results over the last yeah, three years? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't that think it does. matters. The Lightning would be where they are today had Steve Eiserman not been their general manager. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna sure. I'm gonna say that and leave it at that. See, this is where we still have to get out of that mindset of right drafting players and and building for the future. And Futures now. All right, these guys may not have been taken in the first round, but Eiserman was the GM when the Lightning drafted Nikita Kucherov, and they did draft Vasilevsky right. in the first round. Eiserman was sure. GM then. They took Braden Point when Eiserman was GM in the third yeah. round and made a move. They traded with Minnesota to move up one spot. That's how yeah. much they valued Braden Point. They're that? like, we're afraid Minnesota's going to take Braden Point. We're trading one spot up yeah. to take Point. Eiserman was the GM when they drafted Sorelli. Yeah. Eiserman was the GM when they drafted Perbix. I mean, there are others. I'm just listing these right now. Eiserman was the GM when they traded for Eric Chernak. Yeah. So that wasn't was the draft. Was Sorelli but... or was that Breezeball? No. Sorelli was, right? was, yeah. was the GM. Yeah, right, I mean, right. Breezeball was the assistant GM, yeah, and it was right, a whole right. organizational decision. So go back and read. So that was part of the tweet. That wasn't the whole tweet. What else? What else was in there? Sorry, you moved on from it. No, it's okay. Uh, Eisman was a great trader, mostly terrible first round draft. It was yeah, about cost Druin. this team cups. Oh, it was Druin. Uh, yeah, from it was Grace. about Druin. So, Jonathan Druin has had a rough go of it in Montreal, and part of that is due to the fact that the team has not been very good, save for their one run to the Stanley Cup final, during which Druin was injured. He didn't play. That has been part of it. He has also dealt with, I believe it's been fairly well documented, some, are they mental health issues? I can't remember if it was yeah. exactly that, or there was some off-ice stuff that that he needed to get his life squared away, and it sounds like he has, and I'm glad for him. Even though the team has not had a good year, he apparently has had a fairly good year for Montreal playing under Marty St. Louis. The reason that he did not play in the game on Saturday is he was two minutes late or five minutes late or whatever it was to a, a meeting. A meeting the day after they gave him nine goals to the Panthers. So he had to own that. He made a mistake. He he admitted he made a mistake. Right. He slept through his alarm in the hotel, and he was late, and so he sat on the bench and didn't play. But knowing Marty, that was it. It's over and done with now. So this is Druin's first game back. So if you look at the trajectory of Sergachev and Druin in that one-for-one, Sergachev has had a much more productive time in the NHL than Druin. But there's no doubting Druin's talent. I mean, we saw it in the 2016 playoffs. 
and we saw it in the 2016-17 season. There's a reason why Hedman and Kucherov had the years they had offensively that year, a year in which Stamkos missed basically the whole year, and Braden Point was a rookie but missed a couple of months with an injury. Who was doing the damage offensively for the Lightning? It was Hedman and Kucherov, and they did a lot of damage on the power play, and Druin was a big part of that. He was he was dynamic yeah. <laughs> on that year. I mean, he really and don't was. don't forget the 2016 playoffs, how good he was. He was. Yeah. He was. As we've said, Dave, top five ability, I think, with Jonathan Druin. And I think a lot of times what separates that type of player in addition to other things is not necessarily from the neck down, but the neck up. And he has dealt with a lot. And I think it's a situation where potentially playing for Marty St. Louis, can he find a little bit of stability there and have a guy demand the most out of him? Because the ability is there. We've seen it. He's a, He can be a really dynamic guy. Stick handler, mm-hmm. great passer when he's on his game. But I think for him, it's sometimes those confidence issues and, and being consistently great. And that's hard to do. It's hard to do on a nightly basis. But... Yeah, I mean, what a what a trade. This kind of goes back to what we've talked about before when everybody gets so worked up regarding the assets the Lightning have given up over the years. Well, look at the assets the Lightning have gotten in return, Dave, when they've traded for certain players. Mm-hmm. Whether it was Bishop going to L.A. and getting Chernak. Whether it was Druin going to Canadians to get Sergachev. I mean, there you go. There's a big part of your back end that you got through trades. Victor Hedman's going to be here for a while. And then you just kind of, Nick Perbix, okay. Now you got Radish. Interesting. There you go. And you just have to continue to plug and play. Plug and play. And the Lightning have done a nice job of that over the years. But good question. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thanks for the, thanks for, we've had some bold comments today. Bold. Hey, I wanted to get to this. I don't know how many more questions we have. We can certainly get to those. But I I read this this morning and I wanted to, to bring it up on the show. This was one of the most interesting NHL morning skate emails that I've seen this year. And, and the NHL is going over. So basically the morning skate email, the report that, that I get, and a lot of people get, <laughs> recaps the games that happened the night before with some notable trends or stats or teams moving up or whatever the case might be. They kind of give you news of, on ice, off ice stuff that might be going on. Like I see here, Zidane Ochara announces he will run Boston Marathon next month. That guy is like a a freak of conditioning nature. So I'm not news? surprised is that to news, hear. Though? <laughs> well, that's so that's a quick click. So that isn't really necessarily in the. You can read it if you want. They didn't put it in there. They put a uh, they put a, a link on there, and then they usually preview the games that are that are happening that night. So there were a couple of things that were very interesting that I wanted to bring up to you, and one of them I know it's a little bit of a a sensitive spot for you, but Dylan Ferguson for the Ottawa Senators last night, as the Senators went into Pittsburgh and won 2-1. to Big loss for Pittsburgh, yeah. He was amazing. He had 48 saves, and Ferguson became the fourth, in his debut, he became the fourth NHL goaltender with 48 saves or more in his first career win 
since 1955-56 when shots on goal were officially tracked. So not some of these other guys, it was not in their first start. Because for him, it was his first start. Andre Trefalov in 1994, got his first win, but not in his first start, making 52 saves. Bob Janicek, who famously backed up Jim Craig for the 1980 Olympic team, made 48 saves in 1984, but that was not his first start. It was his first win. And Ken Reggett did it for Toronto, and that was his first start. Mm. Future Pittsburgh goaltender Ken Reggett, Kenny Reggett had 48 saves. That is amazing. I was watching a little bit of that game last night, and these weren't cheap saves he was making. No. I mean, he basically stole that game for Ottawa in his NHL debut, but there are only two guys who had more saves in their first NHL start, and neither one of them won. Lauren Brossois for Edmonton had 49, and Manny Legacy for the Kings in 1988 had 49. That was an amazing performance, and congratulations to him. I wonder if the Lightning are going to see Ferguson in their next game on Thursday. The the Senators play in Boston tonight, so it's a back-to-back. So I figure that that mad Sogard will get the start for Ottawa tonight. But Lightning very well may see this Dylan Ferguson on Thursday in Ottawa. Anyway, that was one note. And the other one, which I was wondering about this when you mentioned how the Rangers shut out the Predators. <laughs> the Rangers are hosting Carolina tonight. The Rangers enter play with two straight wins and 15 unanswered goals dating to their win against Pittsburgh 3-2 on March the 16th. The Rangers can become the first team to score 16 or more unanswered goals since the Penguins did it in 2014, in the fall of 2014. The Penguins scored 18 in a row. That is amazing. The Rangers have scored 15 unanswered goals. By the way, the record in the league, 25 unanswered goals done by the Rangers in 1973. Can you imagine that, scoring 25 unanswered goals? No. (laughs) (laughs) Could you imagine? They didn't even win the Stanley Cup that year, nor did they get to the Stanley Cup final. What year year was that? It was 72-73. Yeah, the the Canadians won the Stanley Cup that year. They beat the Hawks. 25 unanswered Yeah, it was goals. February of 1973. No, 25 unanswered goals. The Flyers scored 23 unanswered goals in October of 1977. That's incredible. They were the second most. Somehow I don't, well, I don't know. Carolina, who knows? They had some shutout losses yeah. in, in recent games. But I don't know. Do we think that they're not going to score a goal tonight against how many, the Rangers? How many unanswered goals have they given up? With, for Carolina. Well, it's, it? it's that the 14? Rangers have scored 15. That's Carolina 15. beat right. Philly, I think, in their last game where they scored with less than a second left and then won in overtime. That was a 5-4 game. So they have scored in their most I recent game. I got you. Okay. Those were a couple of notes that I was like, boy, that's pretty interesting. It jumped out at you. Yeah. You know. Well, I watched some of the Ottawa-Pittsburgh game last night. It was on the TV in the hotel here. Would and I was curious to see, because the Penguins have really been struggling, but they, they should have won that game last night. And it was just a weird game. It was one of those games where if they played that game 50 times, the Penguins would win 49 times or at least get a point out of it. They scored late. I mean, if you watch the game, you know this, Greg. They scored late in the third to tie the game at one to break up the shutout bid for Ferguson. And Ottawa had nothing going. 
and then Chad Ruweedle stumbled and was trying to get back defensively and, and grabbed an Ottawa player and was called for a penalty, and it was like that power play woke up the Senators, and they had like three grade-A chances, and they eventually scored, and it looked like Brian Rust got hurt on the play, like he was he was shaken up and a little bit out of position, and they worked it around, and, and Drake Batherson put the puck in the net from from the top of the crease. So that was it. Panthers move into the second wild card spot. Nice. Well, it's it's interesting because the, it feels like the Panthers are are coming, and we talked about this too. I mean, I it was like this with Colorado. I I just I didn't. It was hard to grasp the Florida Panthers not making the playoffs. You have been on the Panthers bandwagon. I just, if I can feel call like there's too that. much talent. I just yeah. feel like there's too much talent, and eventually, talent does. I think most times. Play out. Doesn't Feels like they're happen. they're starting to peak at the right time. Yeah, now, there's still a month left. There is, and you know, look, Florida's played seventy, Pittsburgh played seventy, the Islanders have played seventy-one, Ottawa that was a big win. They're still kind of on the outskirts a bit. I mean, they're five points mm-hmm. behind Pittsburgh, which is why, in many ways, that game was so big. Panthers go to Philly tonight, so it's a back-to-back for Pittsburgh's them against the rest of the opponent. Pittsburgh's got a tough schedule, though. Yeah, they I go mean, to Colorado next, right? Yeah, they got Colorado, but then they've got, you know, the Capitals over the weekend, and that's always, you know, typically a tough game. They got Dallas. Yeah. So they've got the Avs and the Stars on that's the road. That's a big road trip. Back to back. Yeah, where they're losing an hour, too. Yeah, and then they're playing. They still have to play the Devils. They still have to play the the Bruins. Panthers have, <laughs> Panthers have three games left against Toronto. You talk about the Lightning and Devils loading up their season series into one week. This isn't over one week, but it's weird that divisional opponents, the Panthers and Maple Leafs have only played once so far this year. They play three games between now and the end of the regular season. Yeah. Interesting. I think that is, that is Florida's toughest opponent. I'm not sure that they have any games left with the Bruins. I haven't committed their schedule to memory. But I know they have the Flyers tonight. At Bolts Radio, if you want to get involved in the conversation, you certainly can do just that. Let me get to a another question here. Um, I also wanted to ask, this was yesterday, if the playoffs started today, are the Bolts ready? Yes. This plays the narrative that the regular season is too long and taxing on a player's ability to maintain a high level of competitiveness game after game. The same results can be accomplished with fewer games. Well, they're not going to do that because they want the revenue. <laughs> I understand that. Particularly now because they're trying to they're trying to get things back on track. This is what we talked about with the escrow. You know, they lost all that revenue during COVID. So they want the gates. But here is here is kind of what I will take from that comment and pose a question to you, Greg, and I have probably a hunch about how you would feel about this. But would you rather be rolling down the stretch going into the playoffs or not rolling going into the playoffs? Because I'm thinking about what we just said with the Panthers, how well they're playing right now. Maybe they keep it up. They get into the playoffs. They will have played high-level hockey for – probably what five to six to seven weeks as opposed to a team that that maybe is kind of what what al said there 
It was Al, right? Was that Al's comment as well? Correct. From yesterday? Yes. Yeah, Al's kind of like, eh, these teams that kind of have a spot locked up, they're kind of meza-meza down the stretch and the season's too long. I mean, would you rather be playing high-level hockey with the pressure on not just for a week, I'm talking like for an extended period of time going into the playoffs or the opposite? That's You're my question me. to yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, ask me again. I'm thinking about this. Ask it to me. Yeah. Again. Well, I mean, you have said that wake me up when the playoffs begin. I have said that. I have but if I were that. giving you your yeah. your choice, understanding that, and I think we've seen examples of both of of teams that have been hot down the stretch in the regular season, doing very well in the playoffs, but also then almost running out of like it's hard to maintain that. And you run out of gas and you lose in the first round. And a lot of times those teams have been playing at such a high level because they did not get off to a good start. Mm-hmm. So they needed to scramble to get into the playoffs. They get into the playoffs, but they're a lower seed. And then they face a more established team or a team that has just done better in the regular season, even with the other teams pushed down the stretch, and they end up losing in the first round. So I guess I'm asking you, I guess the third part would be, doesn't matter. And I think you have often said it doesn't matter. But if you were given your choice, you know, would you rather be playing high-pressure games and, and executing at a very high level for an extended period of time going into the playoffs, understanding that you need to maintain that moving forward or more find your game once the playoffs begin? I mean, the politically correct answer would be, I think it, it depends on the team that you have. Ask me which one has the better goaltender. I think that may help with it. Yeah. But I, I, because look, the Lightning, Dave, haven't played their greatest hockey the last three years towards the end of the regular season, correct? I mean, they've been correct. okay, right? And it hasn't phased them. I would say two years. I mean, yeah. the, the 2020 year, they were, they were not great record-wise heading into the pause, but then we had four months off. So, I mean, that yeah, to yeah. me doesn't really count. Yeah, I guess... I think you bring up a good point, and it, again, it might be the team and how much intense hockey have they played. Some would say they've basically been in playoff mode since February That's because exactly they've had what to make people it. Say. Yeah. yeah, and and I, and I don't I don't know how many of those teams end up winning the Stanley Cup. I I I think I want to say this, and this is just off of memory. I want to say Mike Sullivan's first year, Dave, when he took on mm-hmm. the coaching position mid season. The Penguins are out of a playoff spot. Yeah. They are an example of a team that got very hot. Correct. And rolled into the playoffs and just kept getting better and better that is and correct. better. That is correct. So that momentum continued. But the year before, the Ottawa Senators with the Hamburglar yes. had an incredible push to get into the playoffs, and then they fell behind 3-0 to Montreal and ended up losing the series in six. I'm going to say it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> But it, there, there are examples for both. Yeah, and there I, are examples I think you could for both. Probably, you could probably hang your hat on both of them and feel pretty good about it. The, the interesting thing about the intensity from the regular season into the playoffs, because you're a team that maybe had to win as many games as possible, um, I, I do think it can, especially that first game in the playoffs, perhaps you're a little more battle-tested. Because that first game in the first round sometimes can be a little bit of an outlier. You just don't know what mm-hmm. to expect. Both teams are filling each other out. But I think you have you have a team that 
particularly one, Dave, that's playing well but opens up on the road, they may just be so dialed in that, you know, that first game they're able to steal one. And yeah. then it takes that team who's the higher seed, you know, a, a game to kind of adjust to that level of intensity. But here's the other thing. It can go the other way, too, as you've said. I mean, what if you're a team that coasts the whole year? I don't want to say the Lightning coast the whole year when they lost to Columbus in the first round, but could you say, you know, what were they playing for? So, like, the Boston Bruins would be the example this year. Have they been battle-tested this year? Dave, does it matter for Boston? Yeah. But yeah, you could make a more a veteran team. Yeah, they're a more veteran team, so maybe it doesn't. But then again, their goaltender hasn't been through the, the ringer, so to speak. What if you haven't played any meaningful games, Dave, till January? Would you rather be a team that's just been fighting for your playoff live life? You haven't played particularly well, but you've won some games. You get into the playoffs, and you've had you've had to be in that mindset for a couple of months, even though the results have been mixed. Or would you rather be a team that, since January, you knew you were in the playoffs and you really weren't threatened at all? Right. I don't know. Well, somebody pointed out to me that Colorado, and I didn't remember this, finished the regular season like 1-5-1 and one last year. But, boy, were they ready to go when the playoffs started. And they had had a great year overall. So that was just a little blip at the end. Yeah, I think – so there are examples of teams that continued building after a rough first half and just steamrolled into the playoffs and ended up winning the Stanley Cup. The Penguins in 2016 are one example. The Blues in 2019 are another. What those teams had in common was a mid-season coaching change, and it took a little while for the new coach to kind of get the players to play the way that he wanted them to play, but when they figured it out, they took off. The Panthers, if we're going to use them as an example, do have a new head coach this year. He didn't take over midseason, but maybe you know, it took a little time for the Panthers to click into what Paul Maurice wanted them to do. And they were the President's Trophy winners last year, and you know they had some major changes in terms of their roster, and maybe it, it took a little while for, for that to settle in. But there's no question they are playing really, really well right now and they took advantage as they needed to of that long home stance a seven game home stand they went five one and one they won the game before that which was at Amelie so they were six one and one going back to their last eight and they just beat Detroit so they are seven one and one in their last nine which has helped them make up ground and it's coincided with the Penguins now losing four in a row right so that has helped them gobble up the real estate between them and some of the wildcard teams, and then the other teams that were in the mix, nearly all of them have fallen off. Detroit has fallen off. Ottawa has fallen off, even with their win last night. Washington has fallen off. Buffalo has fallen off. So all of a sudden, what was like a seven-team race for two spots has kind of become a three-team race for two spots. That has helped the Panthers as well. So we'll see. I guess my feeling is, having watched the Lightning win the Cup, in 2021 and get to the cup final in 2022 if i were given that choice i would pick a different option which is to say i would want my game to elevate through the playoffs so maybe i'm not rolling heading into game one of the first round 
But at some point, we start trending up because the playoffs themselves are two months if you're going to go all the way. That is a really long time to be just like operating at top efficiency. Because if we're talking about the Panthers and let's say they get into the playoffs and they go all the way to the Stanley Cup final, you're talking about like four months, right? Of unbelievably high-level hockey. (laughs) That's hard to do. It's been done, as we just cited some examples, but I would probably rather be like on a simmer going into the, the playoffs and then turn the flame up. But you can't predict that. You can't control that. You just know it when you see it. It's a good point, and we'll see how it plays out. Of course, we'll talk about the Montreal game tomorrow. Yes. As the Lightning take on the Canadians tonight. Pre-game skate show begins at 6 o'clock. I'll have the network pregame at 6.30. And then, partner, I'll talk to you at 7 o'clock. And then we'll be back at it again noon to 1 tomorrow. Should be fun. Yes. Talk, talk to you in tonight. a few hours. You got it. Thanks, Steve Ersnick. Thanks to you for listening. Keep those questions coming. At Bolts Radio, we always appreciate you. Talk to you tomorrow on Lightning Radio.